everybody, and welcome to another episode of Liam and Charlie's Mining Waffle, the podcast in the mineral industry that nobody asked for and nobody really wants to listen to. Uh, today, we're very happy to be joined by Lucia Tenney from Mountain Boy Minerals and Jamie Strauss from Digby. How are you guys doing today? Good, thanks. Nice very to see you, Liam. Yeah, thank you very much for coming on the show. And as always, we're going to start with a chat with Charlie. How are you doing, Charlie? Yeah, I'm doing well, thanks. Yourself, Liam? Yeah, not too bad. I thought I'd go over our uh, discussions from last week first. So firstly, at the end of last week's show, we all picked some stocks. Uh, I'd like to report that you, you selected copper instead of a stock. So your, your performance is down. Uh, <laughs> I selected Mammoth Resources as my stock of the week. Uh, that's down. Uh, Frank Gagnon from Conquest Resources, who, who joined us, uh, picked Woolbridge Mining. They're down. Uh, Rowan Thorne, however, picked Pan Global who are exploring in Spain, and he's the only one out of the four of us who successfully picked a stock that went up. So well done, Rowan. Uh, Charlie, you were talking no, well about done to last week, yeah. Well, I'm, I'm going to start off with backing up my claim that copper is the place to be at the moment, because realistically, I'm, I'm a bit, pretty much a bit, bit of a copper bull, and um, the market has got... What are we talking about at the moment? Zambia... It's not exactly looking like the most attractive place in the world. South America is looking pretty messy at the moment. Early stage exploration in the copper space in safe jurisdictions is really where you should be, um, for me anyway. I just see that as being a fantastic place to be. If you've got a decent sized um, early stage exploration target, then fantastic. And Actually, um, hopefully there'll be some um, news coming out in uh, the near future from SI Capital regarding the copper space. So uh, maybe maybe next week or week week after, I'll be able to divulge a little bit more into why I think copper is so great in the London markets at the moment. But for the time being, um, I'm still staying with that copper space. So, so Charlie, can I just ask? Um, so I, I've been a copper bull and, you know, kind of electric vehicles and all the rest of it. And I don't want to prize too much information out of your upcoming note from SI. But I was listening to Ken Hoffman the other day. And Ken Hoffman, I don't know if you know, he's at McKinsey uh, and hugely uh, impressive individual to listen to. And he argued against uh, the copper story to the extent that everybody thinks you need four times more copper in a electric vehicle than you do in a normally aspirated vehicle. And he said that's just simply incorrect and it's more like 1.4 times copper. And so I'm kind of interested to get to the bottom of that. I, I'm, not, I'm not posing an argument myself. I just thought it was a fascinating thing which I hadn't heard before and therefore I'd quite like to get to the bottom of that. No, that's a, that's a pretty, pretty reasonable um, argument to be, be putting forward. No, my my thesis on copper is the lack of exploration and jurisdictional exposure around the world. So how exposed we are as a global economy to potential impacts that may happen on a country by country basis. But um, I, th I think maybe I don't know exactly on your copper example here, but maybe something that I think which would be interesting is looking at, for example, in the future, projections haven't been for the pure EV vehicles to be the main runners in the electrification evolution, but it's actually these hybrids. So platinum and palladium becoming even more important than they've ever been before. And that's something I think about maybe six months, a year ago, 
I kind of disregarded the platinum palladium industry because I thought, well, that's a, that's a dead industry, but actually that's becoming a lot more relevant and we've seen spikes in those prices and it's definitely more useful those pieces of commodities in there. I don't know if that completely answers your question there, uh, but... No, but I've been looking forward to reading your note. <laughs> I've always avoided platinum palladium because I just don't understand the, the geochemistry. I like, I like to stay with very simple things. Uh, <laughs> Copper, copper moves in a certain way, gold moves in a certain way. I'm sure palladium and platinum do as well, but I don't know it. So. Wait, it's, it's again, we were talking about like silver, for example. Silver is one of these crazy commodities where we kind of think, is this a kind of a cheap man's gold or is it a technology metal? And it kind of sits in this hybrid between the two. And it's one of these really exciting metals that, again, do we, do we actually have enough silver projects coming online in the future um now yeah, maybe maybe that's a question for, for the rest of you guys that's probably a very good place to bring looser in actually <laughs> uh, talking about new silver projects uh coming coming to the attention of the market uh what do you want to tell us about uh, british columbia this week you've got two great bits of news out recently uh new field programs planned in british columbia uh what are your thoughts right now well, in terms of jurisdiction where you can find some copper, uh, BC is a great place to be looking for bulk tonnage copper. And our new Telegraph project that we just acquired um, is one of those targets. It, it popped into my head as soon as you said that, Charlie. It's, it's got some very real meaningful soil geochem. It's got very limited drilling. Uh, a lot of the drilling kind of suggests it's on the edge of a porphyry system. And we've consolidated a lot of the ground around it. Um, and we're gonna be ground truthing it this year. So that, that's our great copper plate. And when you mentioned platinum palladium, I had to laugh because on the Eastern side of the Telegraph project, there are some ultramafic rocks and we haven't looked at those for platinum and palladium yet either. So that might be the project for you, Charlie. It sounds it sounds like it's ticking the right boxes, isn't it? The commodity yeah, takes. For sure. Confusing <laughs> assays for the lab to deal with. Um, Mountain Boy has been working in the Stewart camp, which is in the Golden Triangle, for decades. And uh, a lot of our projects yeah, out of Stewart are silver plays, both epithermal and BMS style mineralization. And I, I can't say that the Mountain Boy mine is a new discovery. Uh, it's been worked since the early 1900s, but it is something that hasn't had a lot of modern work. And uh, it is a project that has provided very high silver values in the past. Yeah. And from one end of the industry, I suppose, uh, on the, the exploration side, uh, to Jamie, uh, you're, as far as I know, you're presenting as part of the G7 uh, meeting this week. Is that right? Yeah, I, I, I guess if if there's any story bigger than copper at the moment, it's ESG, and um, and you know, in a way, it's a uh, it's it's rather bizarre because the mining industry has done ESG for decades and arguably centuries, you know, to get a social license, um, but at the same time, it's really behind the curve in terms of disclosure of ESG. So, uh, and that's to some extent because there hasn't been any need uh, to do it. Um, but now the capital markets are kind of really ramping up their, their focus on ESG and their requirements on ESG. And any institutional money 
uh, that is going to be used in the course of the next, uh, you can probably still get away with it as an explorer for the next year or so, I would imagine, uh, I'm guessing, but uh, certainly the, 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 the screw's beginning to turn and uh, you know, the, the, the ESG requirement is going to be absolutely critical for every single company, uh, not just in mining, just across the world, private, public, non-for-profit, uh, uh, whatever. So, um, yeah, G7 or the British government asked us to present at G7 next, next week. Uh, it's in the southwest of Cornwall. A lot of you will know that, you know, Cornwall was the center of mining for, uh, for a couple of hundred years. Mm-hmm. And uh, they wanted to do a big kind of mining uh, uh, chapter there. Uh, there's a big resurgence going on with a number of different companies uh, down there. And, uh, but they needed to balance this kind of perceived negativity of mining um, with something which was going to kind of give it a little bit more of a kind of more uh, today's flavor of where the governments are, which is, of course, environment and ESG. So uh, we'd been working with them with regards to COP26, which is going to be in Glasgow later this year. And uh, so, yeah, we put together a a, uh, a presentation which uh, you can find on our LinkedIn or Twitter pages. Um, there's a two minute teaser and then uh, the full presentation next Thursday. And um, yeah, it's really exciting. I mean, a number of different companies presenting on it. Uh, Evie Hambro from BlackRock is presenting and endorsing the project on it. Um, and it really showcases the, the new companies, the developing companies which are embracing ESG and wanting to have a sustainable future and produce the commodities uh, that are going to provide a low carbon economy. So, yeah, so that's the kind of uh, uh, background to it. Yeah, I've seen a very uh, sort of troubling approach to ESG uh, online this week. Uh, Twitter seems to have gone on an angry charge against it. Lots of people saying don't invest in anybody who cares about ESG. It's, it's a scam. It's a con. Um, what they don't realize is that it probably costs more long term for a mining company to fight a community uh, and, and, you know, repair an environment than it does to just behave properly in the first place. Mm-hmm. Um, I think in Canada, you, you've got a lot of examples of this, uh, Lucia. Um, there's obviously a big uh, First Nations community uh, in a lot of the regions that have vested interests uh, in, in the land that's being looked at. How do you, um, you know, coming from, um, from the outside, as it were, how do you approach that? It varies a little bit by jurisdiction, but it definitely comes in in the beginning with our permitting uh, because the government uh, really recommends First Nation consultation off the bat. And uh, different bands will have different levels of organization and how they process that. But um, again, going back to our Telegraph project, you know, we haven't even set foot on the project yet, but we've already had um, meetings with the Taltan Nation. And they're a great example because they're very organized and they do a very good job of getting Taltan band members involved right from the beginning. And, you know, a lot of the times the First Nation people are real stewards for the environment. So having them on side helps um, guide mining companies do things right in the first place, like you mentioned. Yeah, and and I guess my question to, to Lucia on that is, if you were to able to have a, a transparent uh, platform, so um, which therefore third parties and could be local stakeholders, uh, First Nations groups could access that information um, has been credibly assessed and you can therefore see in a kind of easy to use approach the different areas, you know, I mean, there are 20 or 30 different areas within 
uh, ESG, depending on the, the company project or, or industry. Um, do you feel as though that would help and aid in order to that transparency and allow engagement to be easier? Uh, or do you see that uh, potentially as a conflicting thing? No, I fully believe in transparency and I feel that knowledge and shared knowledge really helps with refinement and empowering people. Mm. Um, for example, I our Southmore project, which is just south of Telegraph, but also in the Teltan area, um, the government came back uh, with a few revisions for our pending permit. And it shows all the different First Nation overlap areas. It shows all the different riparian areas. It looks at uh, different levels of slope for so and just having all, the, all that information helps us design programs It helps us see who we need to get involved It helps people evaluate how this project is going to go it helps investors evaluate the real merits of the project so I think you know information to the masses uh, publicly available is a very useful tool if I may put forward a question myself then how do you guys how would you determine whether or not a company, because everyone in the presentations, I go through numerous presentations at the moment. How do you determine whether or not someone is an ESG friendly company or just saying it? I know I have my own opinions, but I think it'd be interesting to hear your, your guys' opinion. So, so, so you've got to go back to where the problems are with regards to ESG disclosure. Let's just put ESG aside for one minute because mining companies have done ESG. Uh, they don't know necessarily which bits they're doing and they're not doing, but to get their social license, you know, they've been doing it. So if we just assume that for one set, how do you effectively assess whether or not somebody is either telling the truth or not, or is doing what they're saying they're doing, or, or what is their gap analysis, what areas are they missing? And sometimes that's not intentional, that's just they don't necessarily haven't been guided to the things that they might also need to do, which goes beyond permitting. Permitting is very prescribed, um, talking slightly on Lucia's area here, but permitting is very prescribed. Mm -hmm. ESG disclosure has not been prescribed. And therefore, there's this huge confusion as to what, what do I need to disclose? How do I disclose it? And to whom? And that was when Mike Barton from Orion and uh, uh, Evie Hambro came to me last year and said, you've got to come up with a solution for the junior miners. And the problem was, is that if we didn't, this industry was never going to get out of the mire of being at the bottom of the bucket of perception. Mm -hmm. So um, when actually there's so much positive to look forward to because the industry, A, has done a lot of good, particularly the last 20 years, I think, health and safety. The First Nations is a great example, I think, uh, in Canada. Um, environmental, generally, there are areas, obviously, the industry's weak on. Um, but general social, I think, has improved quite a lot. So, um, so we turned that kind of reversed the whole thing backwards and said, right, okay, what are the problems? How do we address it? Clearly, it needs to be an industry-driven thing. It needs to be endorsed and approved by leading stakeholders so mm -hmm. that the underlying mining companies who go to them with cap in hand for money have the confidence it's going to be recognized. And then make sure that you take the, well, there are 42, I think, uh, standards out there which can be applied to mining, which is clearly the problem because it's too confusing. So... Uh, uh, map the most common ones and come up with a practical right-sized and future-looking approach to ESG so that effectively we can create a blueprint for an exploration company, a uh, development company, and a producing company to effectively know what to disclose or at least know what questions to answer, provide evidence to support 
in, to answer your question uh, there, uh, to make sure that the board of directors sign off on it mm -hmm. and therefore have it independently assessed and then come up with a, uh, a an assessed score, which we also allow to be hidden for 13 months in case anybody doesn't like a single score, uh, so that you can then do a second submission and get a direction of travel. There we go. Beautiful. Does that answer your question? It certainly does. But I think I think for investors, because I guess the target audience here is is people who are looking to invest. Why should they be interested in ESG? And the point I see with ESG and the way that I think the market's starting to move uh, is is passive investors investing in ETFs. And I think that's so. I'm going one of the particular companies this week of news that came out iron ridge resources they are a lithium you know, late stage lithium explorer slash going into development in ghana and they also have gold projects in ivory coast and chat now they've taken the decision to split the two assets suddenly they've got a lithium project late stage development very different investor thesis behind what an early stage gold exploration project would be mm -hmm. now both of them iron ridge the management very ESG friendly, but I'm guessing that's also something taken to effect, uh, take into mind. Is the same companies they could be going into ETFs eventually are going to have to hit certain thresholds for how environmentally friendly they are. And the other one was, um, I, I guess you, I think you mentioned about how I guess ESG is carbon efficient. A project is um, the carbon tons per ounce produced. Let's let's give it for a gold project. That's actually quite important. Um, so, I guess another question going forward is remote projects, ones that have to be self-sufficient. A lot of them are diesel generated. Some of them are moving towards solar panel, solar powered. Um, oh, actually, I've given an example. Would be. Um, uh, E, uh, AUG. But I think the key but, thing I mean, here is yes. that there is no, that no one project is the same. I mean, not all projects can have solar. Uh, they might be on the side of a hill and it doesn't face the right way or whatever it happens to be. And so what you've got to do is there's no point. Well, the big danger for the mining industry is that we allow the major ratings agencies to dominate this. Now, the mining industry has not really been touched yet. Of course, they have at the BHP and the Rio Tinto level, but it's not really been touched yet. And what we need to do is to start to own the narrative and ask nuanced questions relating to mining companies written by miners and then have a level of credibility that people can have confidence in. And so, first of all, make it right-sized so that you know an exploration company doesn't have to answer issues about tailings dams. Uh, when clearly it's not done. I heard today from uh, uh, another call I was on is that you, if you are going to go down the IFC route, you never actually become IFC certified because there's always things you can do more. So the problem with these things is that there's, it's not really helping the mining companies progress. Mining companies want to engage with ESG, want to move forward with ESG, but they haven't got something which they can put their arms around to help them kind of move forward and therefore go out and, and talk to capital providers. And the great, the great opportunity here is to go beyond the current pools of capital that we're already talking to and go to ESG investors and impact investors, which just need a means to 
track, uh, credibly track ESG, which they haven't got at the moment. And I think you bring up a really good point, Jamie, that it has to be kind of scale dependent mm -hmm. because whatever Rio Tinto can do, Mountain Boy surely can't. Um, they're going to have the budget for it, whereas our budget is going to be, you know, limited to financing and what we have in the bank. So I, I think it is something that has to kind of be um, a tiered system. Yeah. But will that affect potentially if we create these layers, if someone like Rio Tinto, BHP, they're able to go in and do a drilling campaign with very high environmental standards. Are we saying that a junior company who may not be able to put those same standards in, like bring in high-end um, environmental uh, officers, for example, how, how should, who, who should be paying for that? Is that something the government should be paying for or should that be something the, government, the, the company should be paying for? Well, that's a good question, but I'll, I'll use an example. I was working on a project um, out of Merritt, which is close to Highland Valley. And so we were, uh, I was working for a junior company and the First Nations in that area negotiated with us that they would bring in environmental monitors. So the environmental monitors were on the drill site 24 seven and they were basically holding the drill company accountable and culpable for their actions. So yes, that is something that the junior mining company paid for, but it wasn't cost prohibitive. You know, it was something that could be afforded and the company was happy to do because at the bottom line, most geologists, most people in junior mining do care about the environment. Mm. You know, I have children, I want them to grow up on a green planet, right? So, mm -hmm. you know- I think I, that's I, a that's a fantastic point. Most geologists, um, like my my passion outside of geology is um, I love bird watching. Right. Most geologists have gone into this sector because we love nature, Absolutely. and it turns out we can make money by walking through mountains. And some fantastic of us kind of justified being in the mining industry by saying, you know, I'm an insider. I can make the changes I want to see. You can also encourage putting up more wind turbines to catch more birds, Charlie, and save yourself having to travel to see them. <laughs> that is a very mean thing to say. It is. Well, I'm going to be mean. I'm going to be mean as well at Charlie. Um, so the big, the big pointing finger at the moment is at the sell side. Um, the sell side are massively behind on the adoption of ESG. Um, Catherine Raw, who was ex. BlackRock and then uh, uh, went is now CEO at BlackRock at uh, Barrick came out and openly said we need to bring the sell side on board. It's really difficult to pull them onto uh, 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 the ESG topics that we do. We spend thousands of hours internally coming up with all of this stuff with regards to ESG to help uh, the fund managers, but the sell side is not getting on board. If there is a credible means to track. Uh, ESG, uh, track ESG within the mining companies. Do you see that from your position as an ability to, for instance, and I'm going to say something which I know you're going to say no to, but ultimately it's got to be the golden goose, which is we're not going to raise money for any companies or we're only going to take it a positive way. We're only going to raise money uh, with companies who effectively embrace ESG and have come out and disclosed transparently. Doesn't have to be with Digby, could be with anything, but uh, do that effectively. Uh, uh, um, is, that, is that something where you see the sell side ultimately could go to? I think, yes, yes the answer is, but the question is, is can small cap companies afford to have analysts 
to identify these challenges because we've seen, for example, uh, MIFIDs uh, that's come in in Europe, this is specifically for London and Europe, um, where there has been effects specifically in the mining uh, with analysts, financing and the like, where they've tried to pull apart and basically pay for research. Maybe this is a factor that possibly hasn't, has been overlooked. Research affecting what people want. And a lot of the new investors who are coming in to SI Capital, a lot of them are younger and a lot of them want that still, the excitement of the mining sector. They also want to have an environmentally friendly product. We've got um, rare earth companies, graphite companies, we've had um, copper companies and the investors are interested. So the sell side is certainly driven on demand, but I think that somewhat answers well, your question so, well, is demand, let, um, so demand is really- that. So let me answer that. So the Digby product, and I selfishly, you know, kind of advertise the Digby product, but it is the only thing I think really out there at the moment uh, for this, is paid for by the juniors. So if you take a typical exploration company, it's a 10,000 US dollar, a corporate fee plus $4,000 for each disclosed project um, uh, for pre-PFS stage companies. It is freely available to access all of that information by anybody else. So whether it's sell side or fund managers or uh, uh, local stakeholders or whatever. So that's the structure which effectively addresses that, shall we say, with regards to UK Europe, that MIFID issue uh, mm -hmm. completely uh, ab abolishes that completely. And the idea, I think the, the real one I love is I think we've got a big problem with the, within this industry of encouraging younger people, as we were just talking about just now, younger people into the, into the mining space. And I don't know if you know Glassdoor, you know that website which relates to it. So this would be a perfect opportunity for younger people to come on and say, ah, oh, that company has embraced ESG, is moving forward year by year. And yes, I want to go and work for them. Uh, because I think there's a big challenge at the moment encouraging people uh, into this industry because it's got such a negative perception i think that's a very good point how um, long until a major puts down a couple of million and says we'll just buy ourselves an esg rating no uh, well, i think, well, that I think that's already. also a, i think, I think that that's a point already. yeah no i, I was going to say to lim um, i i think for example low carbon ounces i use gold low carbon ounces it sounds like a nice word but i think Mining companies want to reduce their impact per product produced. And this is something that I think the exploration industry is working towards in, in that regards, because actually if you have an attractive product in a jurisdiction where the locals in, like you, you're able to produce it off um, renewable or a, a good quality energy product, system, whatever you want to call it. That's something that a mining company might want to pay a premium for because at the moment we're paying, they're paying very good dividends. They're attracting people back into the industry. And where I went to back right at the beginning, we were talking about copper exploration, not discovering that many big projects. Like we're talking about going back to looking at small epithermal systems. We're looking at VMS um, systems to make these new discoveries when really the, we, the majors need for scale large projects. Well, if they can't get large projects, they're going to have to go for smaller projects and we're going to need 
to have more efficiency and effectiveness within that. And I, I personally see green exploration companies as being a very attractive acquisition targets in the future. That would be 95% of exploration companies because the impact of exploration is mostly just six people walking across a, a mountain. The impact exactly. of exploration, but- too, Liam, is that, you know, at the very grassroots state, you would never know a, per, a company was there unless maybe you found some 30 year old flagging tape, right? So, you know, until you really go into a more advanced stage project and development, you know, even if you hack out a trail, 10 years later, you're not going to know it. Just becomes it's, a hiking trail that people enjoy with their kids, right? <laughs> but I think the point, the, the point is here is if you've got to then create um, a remote camp because you're in Central Africa somewhere, and you've got to be running off a diesel generator. Is that actually acceptable in today's society? Well, well, I, I think this goes back actually to some specific questions within, for instance, the 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 Dig BSG exploration framework, which which I should add was put together by Satala, which is quite a well known uh, um, uh, mining ESG and risk management consultancy group. And you know, one of the questions is is what is your current form of power for your site um, and where would you like it to be in the future mm -hmm. and let's say the answer is you want it to be solar the subsequent question to that is are you going to make some of that available to the local community mm -hmm. so the idea is it's not particularly complicated and, and ESG is not complicated disclosure of ESG has become very complicated because the world has made it complicated but actually it's really quite basic and you know, some sites have to have diesel for one reason or another. And that's not necessarily a complete negative. There are lots of things you can do to mitigate. And there are lots of things you can do elsewhere to try and improve your total ESG approach. What we've got to try and do as an industry is to just move positively forward. But it doesn't mean to say every single project is always going to be exactly the same. And therefore, you're just going to remove diesel completely overnight. And so, we're just it, it might, what you were just going to say, Jamie, is it might just be diesel for the first five years. Exactly. Until you prove that exactly. you have something that is warrants developing. Exactly. Like if you look at uh, Predium's Bruce Jack project. Exactly. Example, you know, they ran off diesel generators, I'm sure, for years. And then once they proved that they had the resource there, they put in a power line. And now that Absolutely. power line is a major artery for any other project coming up. 100%. Along. Which adds value to to to, to numerous people in the area. Yeah, completely. And yeah. realistically, how much power does an exploration camp need? We we just had forty people working in a camp in in West Africa. You mentioned so that. I, on, um, had, I think we had seven lights, two fans in the bar area, and that yeah. was our entire. It was a small generator. That was our entire entire power usage for four hours a day. Yeah, and similarly on, at the Reddit Creek project with Imperial Metals, I worked there several years and. Uh, we had to leave lights on because we didn't draw enough power because it was such a small, small camp, right? And, and, and I think this, that's a really good point because ESG doesn't mean to say you have to change everything today. What it does is you've got to start planning forward mm -hmm. to try and, and encouraging management to improve as the project develops and evolves to improve that over the course of the time so that your footprint remains as minimal as possible, whether it's on the... Uh, uh, environmental, the social, the biodiversity, or whatever it happens to be. Well, not necessarily minimal on the social. You've got to engage in everything, which actually ramps up. But um, but you you know what I'm getting at. So 
it's 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 trying to bring the thought process forward a bit to allow long-term benefits to uh, uh, to, to to go forward both on uh, on those three areas and i think a lot of the economics with that kind of foresight really end up working out you know it you can you can make things cost effective if you have a 5 10 year plan yep Ab- absolutely and if you don't um, need diesel shipping into your camp you've cut the cost of delivering diesel as well <laughs> yeah and and, and, but also, you know, kind of doing EIAs earlier than a PFS level massively then helps that forward planning as well, which I know is not necessarily everybody's cup of tea uh, because of the cost of doing so. But it does mitigate risk if it is brought in earlier. It does give more data to allow people to work from. And therefore, it should ultimately benefit in the medium to longer term on that project. And this is where having that information publicly available is really yeah. helpful because, for example, for me, I'm trained as a geologist, right? Yeah. So I have to look to other companies for examples and I can yeah. kind of cherry pick and be like, yep. oh, I really like what this company's doing. Yep. Oh, I really believe in that. And then I can apply it to Mountain Boy. Yep. And without that information out there, I'm recreating the wheel every single time. And then Charlie can assess all of those companies on a comparable basis, on a contact basis, and it's for free and can advance ESG as a broker or as an investment banker uh, for the benefit of all. I think that's that's a perfect perfect place to take it. So investors should be looking for good comparisons, really. That's where this sex is going to be going, is comparisons for ESG and where we're going to be going. But that's a bit of a philosophical question too, because there's always going to be people who do care and there's always going to be people who don't care. Yeah, but I think investors too. Yeah, Lucia, I think that's a good point to to start wrapping up on. We've uh, (laughs) probably overlotted our 30 minutes and now we're into philosophy on a mining (laughs) and geology themed podcast. Uh, Before we start blaming God for where the gold is, we should uh, probably call that a day. So you say that I I have had people trying to use their third eye to identify where gold deposits are. So and there's a big dousing rod community in British Columbia that I talk to a lot. Really, they can wave poles and find that glass of gold. So they say they're right fifty percent of the time. So it's better than me and my investments. (laughs) What they say, it is where you find it. Yes, always. Yeah. <laughs> so as, uh, as we do every week, uh, even if it's the only, only the second week, we've got a catchphrase. Uh, Charlie, uh, do you want to pick a stock or material or something you want to watch for the week? Uh, let's, let's not go with copper again. Let's, let's I'm stock. not allowed copper. I'm not allowed copper this week. Um, I'm going to go with... We just had this morning a um, presentation by Cobra Resources. Um, they're an explorer, gold explorer down in um, uh, Australia, doing some fantastic geochemical work to identify a uh, gold system over there. So I, I will be watching out for those guys. Um, that's, that, those guys are real class A um, explorers and a low market cap. I think I can't go too wrong with that. Good stuff. I've written you down Cobra Resources. We'll come back in a week and see how you did. Jamie, do you want to pick a company? Uh, obviously, well, no buy or sell recommendations are being made here, but uh, hypothetically, no, none whatsoever. And I'm a director of this company because <laughs> I'm more kind of much more neutral these days than I, I used to be. Um, so I think I'll go with Altius Minerals. It's got a positive trend. 
Uh, I've been a director for nine years, so uh, uh, just a word of warning. Uh, obviously, I'm not aware of any uh, uh, sensitive information. Uh, otherwise, I wouldn't say that. But um, um, the trend is really good. It's got some wonderful things going on. Uh, great management uh, and very innovative uh, company. So Altius, Altius, Altius Minerals. And Lucia, if you couldn't pick Mountain Boy, <laughs> who would you pick well, this week? If I couldn't pick the obvious, I think I would pick a company called Sun Summit. Mm -hmm. And they are a copper gold story in British Columbia with their buck property. And they're also on an uptrend right now. <laughs> Good stuff. And I'm going to go for something completely unrelated to its project. But uh, this week, Van Gold Minerals renamed to the Guanajuato Silver Company which uh, very few people can pronounce, uh, let alone spell. But I think once the name settled in, uh, today it dropped, I think, eight cents on the name change. Uh, but obviously nothing with the project has changed at all. So I think that's going to bounce back. And statistically, I think I'll get some more pennies in for my pick this week than, uh, than last week when I went for a project based on its actual quality and, uh, and geology. So. Good stuff, guys. Thank you very much for joining our podcast today. Uh, any final thoughts? Lots, but maybe for another time. Yeah. Where's the best place to uh, learn more about Digby, Jamie? Uh, you can go on to thedigby.com, um, uh, which has got a content hub, so you can find everything there. Uh, anybody can reach out to me. Very happy to do meetings uh, if anybody wants to learn or go through a click-through uh, uh, prototype. Um, but it is live. There's a beta test going on with the tech at the moment, so it's a bit difficult to identify the ESG, how you get to it. So just call me or reach out to me. I can give you the instructions to get access to it. I should add all of the frameworks are free so people can use the frameworks to create their own blueprint. Uh, um, so just reach out. Careful, you might get all 50 of our listeners logging on at the same time, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> stressing your servers. Uh, Lucia, what's the best way to follow Mountain Boy Minerals at the moment? Well, the website, Mountain Boy Minerals, we also have Facebook, LinkedIn, Spotlight takes care of us. And we're at the start of our exploration season, so we'll have some exciting news coming out over the next few weeks. Yeah, at BC Summertime. And you can follow uh, Spotlight Mining at Spotlight Mining on pretty much any channel, except TikTok, because we've given up on that. We're not, we're not young enough. Uh, you can follow Charlie at, is it Charlie Geo or Geo Charlie? It's Charlie I know, Liam, I think all you need to do is put some nipple tassels on and then we'll get the TikTok videos going flying. There we go. Have a great night, guys. Thank you very much for your time and we'll see you again soon. Take care. Bye. Bye. That was nice. Nipple tassels. Charlie! <laughs> <laughs>